0: Well, let's uh, pray as we come to the Word today and invite God to help us with it and to speak to us. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence with us. And we thank you that your presence is not a daunting thing anymore. Today we're going to see in the Word today that it's, your presence is a welcome and your presence is um, Acceptance. And your presence is um, something that is uh, enjoyable and exciting and, and brings thankfulness into our hearts and our minds today. And I pray that that would be true for us. I pray as we look at the word today that you'd speak to us, that your spirit would move in our minds and our hearts, that we would become like your son, Jesus, that you would move us closer to who you created us to be. Father, whatever's going on in our lives outside of this moment, outside of you know, this time where we open up your word and, and, and see, what, see what truth there is for us, God, I pray that, I pray that we'd be able to just give, them, give those things to you and just say, look at, God, can you look after those things for a minute as we come to your word and as we consider um, your son Jesus and what he's done for us, Lord. I pray as I, as I pray every week. That for every one of us seated here, we would leave different to the way we came in today. And that today would be a moment where we experience um, your, your spirit working in our hearts and minds. And so we anticipate this, Lord, and it's so good to be able to come and open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we are going to be in Hebrews 12 again. and. And the passage we're going to be uh, going through starts at verse 18. And so I invite you, you can, you can open up there and, and start to find that passage to follow along with us. It's cementing for us something that we already know of, um, of the author of this book, right? All the way through from beginning to end, he's been trying to draw his readers away from... Um, it looks like Jade is trying to get my attention. And I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. Oh it yeah, it looks like I'm sorry. Someone's coming to see. It looks like some sort of Oh, is it that form that Val was handing out? Yeah, we'll get a report and we'll see. Thanks, (laughs) Glennis. Sorry, Jade just thought I might have missed out on a bit of a report from Val, like a missions talk or something, and... um, (laughs) That's okay. It's not. It's not happening. I didn't. I didn't do the right thing. All good. Thank you. Thank you, darling, for checking with me. I love you. That's that's good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, no. That's just for, for your information to take that home and have a read of. Um, Val's always providing things for us to consider, and so um, that was just for your way in today. Thanks. Thanks, JD. All good. So let's let's go back to this passage. Um, what this passage in Hebrews 12, starting at verse 18, is going to do for us is cement in our minds what the author of Hebrews has been trying to do all the way through this book. He's been trying to say to his readers, the way things were in the old covenant system is not how things are now, right? The The way God used to form relationship with his people is not the way he does it now with with now that Jesus has come, right? The, the pre-Jesus um, connection to God is different now that, now that Jesus has come. And this is, this is the thing that he's trying to bring out over and over again. Old Testament stories he, he refers to and he says, this is how it was for us, but now Jesus has come and it's different. Okay, and so again today, this is the, the, the author pretty much does that himself in the passage that we're going to look at. And so that's a cool thing. Um, the author starts out in verse 18, and he's, um, he, he begins this comparison between what it was like for God's people to experience God's presence under the old covenant system compared to what it is like for us to experience God's presence now. And that's something that I want us to keep in our minds as a way of introduction is that idea of coming into God's presence. And I wonder what our feelings are about that. <laughs> I wonder what our, whether there's fear as we enter God's presence or if there's joy as we enter God's presence because they, this is the sort of comparison that the author's trying to bring out today so the the overarching comparison as well is that there are two mountains in this passage there's two mountains in the passage and the most significant mountain in the old testament is the first mountain that we're going to look at and that's mount sinai right mount sinai that's where god gives his people the Ten Commandments, this is where they enter into covenant relationship with their God, right? This is the first mountain reference in our Hebrews passage, and we're looking at the way in which God's people interacted um, with and experienced God's presence in that moment where they, where they meet with God on the mountain, you know, and, and it's really that the old way. This is the old way of, of connecting. Mount Sinai is going to be a picture of the old way of connection to God, and and that and that really that fear evoking connection with God, Mount Sinai was this physical place where God literally descends to Earth in clouds of darkness, and and the Earth is shaking, and there's gloom, and there's trumpet sounds, and and God's voice is just putting fear into people's hearts, and God invites Moses up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, right? And so this is this is where it is. I want to read Exodus nineteen. Um, Uh, verses 16 to 23. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to give you a picture of what it was like in the account there. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And that's not a joyful trumpet blast. That's like a scary trumpet blast. (laughs) Everyone in the camp trembled. Everyone in the camp. So all of God's people trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God could you imagine him could, could you imagine this this is happening on the mountain they can see it and Moses is like all right guys let's let's go let's go towards that direction i don't think anyone would have wanted to moses led the, the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain mount sinai was covered with smoke because the lord descended on it in fire the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. So there it is. There's the first picture. The first mountain is marked in the memories of God's people as a frightening picture of God's presence. You know, any attempt at going into God's presence uninvited would have led to death. Right or, or a serious judgment you know and, and he, it would have led to um or I guess you get the sense that this picture of god 's presence is one that instills a sense of separation between god and and people, you know there was this sense in which God is holy and he 's perfect and he 's up there on the mountain, and we can 't even see him for the clouds and the darkness and the and the just magnificent scariness of who God is. They're in awe and they're trembling at the foot of the mountain and there's this, there's this sense of separation, right? Because people are not perfect. People are not righteous. People are not able to enter into that God's presence, you know? That was, that was the first picture. The second mountain that we learn about is called Mount Zion. So we've got Mount Sinai, that's a scary one, and then you've got Mount Zion. Now, throughout the Bible, Mount Zion is kind of like this reference to God's presence or the place that he dwells, um, you know, and and also the city of Jerusalem. And here in our passage, the author himself actually reminds us that when he's speaking of Mount Zion today, he's actually speaking of the place where God dwells in heaven, right? It's a little bit of a picture of the heavenly Jerusalem. And this picture of God's presence is marked with festivity, right, not fear, (laughs) This picture of God's presence is marked with joyful praise and exaltation. This picture is marked with warmth and acceptance, relationship, connection, openness, excitement, and well being. That's the picture of Mount Zion, and it's just going to be like chalk and cheese. Mount Sinai's over here, Mount Zion's over here. Very different. Okay, in the second mountain, God's presence is um, embodied not in darkness or in gloom and fire but in Jesus' life, okay? (laughs) It's it's embodied in his death and resurrection. We don't just hear his voice, but we've seen him, and there are no boundaries set in place for us to connect with God on Mount Zion. This is actually the gospel coming through this, this story of Mount Zion. There's a sense in which the picture of Mount Sinai and the picture of Mount Zion are complete opposites, okay? And so what I think... And what I'm feeling God's saying is this reflects, um, you know, some of the way we approach God. We, we usually either fall on one side of, or the other. You know, we experience God's presence either one way or the other. Um, and, and and what the author of Hebrews is trying to say today is we have not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion, okay? <laughs> In the New Covenant, when we have relationship with Jesus it's no longer about Mount Sinai. It's about it's about Mount Zion. Okay, so this is an exciting thing. Let's now, now that I've given you a bit of context, bit of background. Let's start reading Hebrews twelve, verse eighteen. By the way, sorry, I know I'm I'm taking a while to get there, but the the, the readers here, when they hear this, they're they're Jewish Christians, they're first century Jewish Christians struggling with their faith. We know that context as well. And so they understand Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. They know these pictures. They understand them well. So I've tried to give you, give you a little bit of that before we start. He says this in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, right, as in the physical place of Mount Sinai, and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. You have not come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, right? Because they could hear God's voice and they said, no, nah, we don't want to hear it anymore. It's too scary. They could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And that was that was the um, law given to um, even if a human was to touch the mountain, while God's presence descended on it, they must be killed. The sight was so terrifying That Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. So there's the first picture. The author of Hebrews is like, hey, you have not come to that mountain, guys. Remember that. Verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, that is Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. And, and when it says he's the judge of all, that's, this is actually not a negative thing. This is, this is the vindicator of all. He's the judge who can, who can um, vindicate us and say, yeah, we're actually found in Jesus today, right? That's that picture of God as judge as a positive thing. He's the one who can say, yeah, we're, we're actually right. We're allowed to be in God's presence here. We have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, those that are already experiencing this. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we can, what we can learn from these contrasting pictures of God's presence is that in our own relationship with God, we're usually taking one or the other of these images of God's presence into our own relationship with him. On the one hand, some of us may feel that God is untouchable. You know, I wonder if that's any of us. We might feel that there's this great separation between us and God. You know, we, we, while we accept that he's our God and we accept, we, it's almost like we accept him from a distance. You know, he's quite unapproachable to us as though he's up the mountain and we're stuck at the foot of the mountain and there's fear and there's trembling in our hearts and this shapes our experience of him. Right? When we do this, it shapes our understanding of who God is and what he wants for us, and, and it shapes our understanding of the Christian life as well. If and if this is true of your understanding of what it means to live in relationship with God, then the message for you today is that's actually not how it should be. You know, that's not that's not Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to live in fear and trembling. You know, that wasn't the life God God chose for us. And when we um and when we Take on this uh, this this uh, experience of God, and we take and we and we think, gee, this is this must be the way God sees me. To just hey, stay at the bottom of the mountain, you know, don't get too close. If this is our view of God, then it changes the way um, we approach the Bible. I don't want to read my Bible if I'm in fear that God's going to condemn me through it. You know, I don't want to I don't want to pray because I feel God doesn't want me to connect with Him. You know, I don't want to come to church if I feel the roof's going to fall in over my head. Or or worse yet, some other Christian might reflect their own misguided understanding of God in this way and make me feel like, gee, I don't belong because, you know, I, I bring this and that with along with me in my experience in my life. You know, this type of view of God makes me want to skip church if I've had, you know, a really rough week with the addiction that, I, that I'm struggling with. You know, I... Uh, I don't know, it's been a tough week. I'm fearing coming to church because I've sort of done a lot of the wrong things this week, you know. That's the type of Christian life that um, Jesus did not die for and it's, and it's the type of Christian life that we can fall into a trap of living if we have this fear, this unhealthy fear of God that he's just out to get me, okay. The author of Hebrews is saying this is not what it's supposed to be like, <clears throat> While every person on earth deserves to be treated at Mount Sinai, God has organized another meeting place, and it's this picture of Mount Zion. Right, The picture of Mount Zion is the picture of how things are for us when we've placed our faith in Jesus. And when we do this, the unapproachability of God is is like eclipsed it's, it's just gone. It's like God has now opened up full access, this experience of full access into the heart of God, into the presence of God, into the holiest place. And it's not because of anything we've done, but it's because of what Jesus has done. All right? This is the gospel. It's actually God and man coming together because of Jesus. <clears throat> That's the that's the experience Jesus died for, that we could enter into God's presence. So in verse 24, there's this quick mention of the the better word that Jesus' blood speaks, over and above that the word that the blood of Abel speaks. And I was like, part of me is frustrated when 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 they do this, right? When they're writing and they just drop this little half a line of phrase of about Abel. And and for those who don't know Abel's story, it's like, well, who is that? I don't even know what that means, whatever, you know. But I think, no, we need to actually make sure we grasp this. While it can seem a little confusing, I think it's worth touching on. When Abel is murdered by his brother Cain, right, you can go back and read in Genesis 4 that story, his blood spilled on the ground. And it's like this it's like a continuation of this reminder. Genesis kind of goes from like perfect picture of creation, everything the way God wanted it to be, and then and then Adam and Eve fall and then things start to deteriorate, right? And it's just this story, again, is just another reminder of just that, um, you know, people are sinful. We're going to break things. We're guilty. We deserve punishment. You know, Abel's blood cries out. All people are deserving of punishment. Right? But compared to this, the message that we get when Jesus' blood is spilled. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. There's a better word that Jesus' blood spills. People no longer need to live in guilt for sin. You know. But instead, coming to Jesus, receiving his sacrifice for us, Jesus' blood you know, poured out for us on the cross, his blood cries out, we're, we're forgiven. You know, there's forgiveness. That's the better word that Jesus' blood cries out. There's acceptance. You know, our sin and our guilt no longer um, brings us judgment because Jesus has already worn that on the cross. Whatever sin in our life might have prevented us from living in a joyful and exciting and warm relationship with God is removed through Jesus' blood spilled for us. So the author of Hebrews is trying to remind his readers There's no doubt we need the reminder today also that when we place our faith in Jesus, our approach to God is always and will always be at Mount Zion. We never have to go to Mount Sinai again. It's the untouchable and holy God making his presence accessible to ordinary people, to sinful people, because of what Jesus has done. Is that a good thing? (laughs) Is that a good thing for us? I think it is. The welcome we receive at Mount Zion is the welcome the prodigal son receives when he comes home. You know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? He goes out and he just squanders away all of his inheritance on wild living and sinful activities and he realises, he has this moment where he's like, man, I just, this is not right. This is not the way things should be. And so while he doesn't um, deserve to come back to his father's presence, While he definitely deserves to tremble at the foot of Mount Sinai, instead he receives the warm welcome of Mount Zion when his father's running towards him, wraps him up, gives him a hug, says we've prepared a feast for you. And I've got this book here. I want to read you sort of like a modern day version of that prodigal son parable, right? And it's from Philip Yancey's book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Has anyone ever read this book before? It's a fantastic book. Highly recommend it to you. Um, I'm going to read his version of this parable because it's going to just, I don't know. For me, it's just uh, when I first read it, it just stuck to me pretty, pretty hard about this idea of our acceptance at Mount Zion. This is the, this is the welcome we receive when we come to Mount Zion. So um, a young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and she seethes inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She has visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that it is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California, maybe, or Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. she thinks about the folks back home but their lives now seem boring and provincial um, sorry so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there she has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline have you seen this child but by now she has blonde hair and with all the makeup and body piercing jewelry she wears nobody would mistake her for a child Besides, most of her friends are runaways and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspapers she's piled atop her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees blossom at once. With her golden retriever, dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave? She says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mum, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and I'll get there. It'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City And during that time, she realises the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement rub worn by thousands of tires and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten How dark it gets at night out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves every so often a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh, God. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice. That's if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers that breaks her dad, she stares out through the tears, quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorised speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know, and he interrupts her. Hush, child, we've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. That's, that's the welcome we get at Mount Zion. That's the welcome into God's presence today for all of us. It's, I think of the, the bleeding woman in Luke 8, and she, uh, you know, 12 years, just going through difficulty and struggling with this problem that she had, and um, Jesus is walking past with the crowd, and she, she has the courage to reach out and just touch his cloak and it changes their life, right? But you could imagine, I feel like some of us might be in this place where just for years and years struggling with this sin or years and years just haven't been able to connect with God. And, and it just looks like there's too much crowd around him. There's too much distance, too much um, trouble, you know, don't don't want to. We're, we're fearful of what might happen if we step out of out of our place on the side of the road. Step out of our place where we've been begging, and we and we and we reach out and we touch his cloak, and um, and Jesus, uh, I, I'm sort of I didn't put this in my notes, but I I believe he refers to her as daughter. You know, he he says, daughter, go. You've been, you know, uh, uh, your faith has made you well. It's something something along those lines. And i and I feel today God's saying. You know, no matter how dirty we feel, no matter how sinful we've been, no matter what experience we've had, no matter how long it's gone on for, all it takes today is just for us to have the courage to reach out and say, yep, I just need to touch you, Jesus. I need you to, to, to help me, to make me clean, to, to transform my life. You know, I'm, I'm done with this. I've tried everything on my own like that bleeding woman had. She'd been to the doctors. She'd tried every, every little thing by, by herself and, and uh, I just need the Son of God to, to help me. That might be some of us today. When I know that I can be fully accepted into God's presence with full confidence of his love for me, not because I'm perfect or without sin, but because Jesus bore the punishment for my sins already on the cross and his blood cries out that I'm forgiven, this changes our understanding of how approachable God is. This understanding of God's presence should shape the way we gather together for worship, not in fear of judgment, not trying to look perfect, not trying to cover up our issues, not, um, not telling others that they need to be perfect but coming to God as we are, ready to join thousands upon thousands of angels, already, you know, singing to God in heaven, ready to join in the worship of those whose names are written in heaven, ready to join, um, you know, our our mediator, our perfect mediator who says, yep, you're vindicated today. Some of us may not have realised it, but by the way we live, by the way we speak and act and treat others in our lives, we're making an invitation to others. Either an invitation to the foot of Mount Sinai to tremble with us, or an invitation to Mount Zion to be welcomed by a loving Father. By the way, we gather here together on Sundays. We're either going to make this place an invitation to experience joy and a warm welcome and a loving Father. or it's a place that extends an invitation to fear and judgment, and I know which, which I would prefer. <clears throat> when I understand my relationship with God is housed in Mount Zion, I'm now motivated to come and pick up my Bible and pray. You know, <laughs> reading my Bible is, is, has changed for me now. I'm now excited to talk, about, talk, talk with others about who my God is. You know, I'm now excited to share my story of the way God welcomed me, despite all of my failures, despite how how uh, how how terrible I may have been, or despite the issues I've had in my experience. When I understand my relationship with God in this way, I'm ready to invite others into that relationship as well. I think this is the life that God died, that God sent His Son Jesus to die for. This is why he came to, came to the earth. And so <clears throat> it's time for us to respond to the word today. And um, it feels a little bit solemn in here, <laughs> just coming from my perspective, but uh, I don't want it to be. We're actually entering Mount Zion right now into God's presence and there's an invitation to come to Mount Zion to be welcomed into God's presence, to say, God, while I don't deserve to be here, I want to thank you for making my welcome possible. You know, that might be the way that you want to, you want to um, respond today. You might want to say, God, thank you for the blood of Christ, and I, and I sense that you're washing me clean through it today. Others of us today need to walk away from the foot of Mount Sinai. That's the old way to connect with God. We need to walk away from our fear of judgment and condemnation from God. That's not what he's interested in anymore. Although that's what we deserve, the new covenant says, no, there's a better way. There's a new way, and it's through Jesus. There might be other ways God's leading you to respond, in the way you treat someone in your life, in the way that you um, invite people to participate in your relationship with God, whatever it be. However God's inviting you to respond, I want to invite you to do that as I close in prayer. Um, And we're going to sing our last song uh, now as well. And so, um, look, there's always opportunity for people to, to come and be prayed for as well. You don't have to do this during the last song. You don't have to make a big deal about it. But I just feel like if you want... Prayer for, for your relationship with God. If you're feeling a welcome into the into the presence of God at Mount Zion today, I want to I be able to pray for you and, and happy to um, help you with that process and, and grasping that understanding today. If you want prayer for leaving Mount Sinai, then I, w- I want to pray for you about that too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for. Uh, the fact that Mount Sinai is no longer the way it is, no matter how sinful we've been, no matter how terrible and 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 messed up our life uh, might have been up until this point, Lord, just just like that girl going back to the bus terminal, you know, there's there's a welcome home banner on the wall today, and we praise you for that, and we thank you that that's there every day, and it never leaves us. We thank you that the welcome is extended to us and, um, and Father, this side of, of, of your return to earth again. We want to we ensure that we enter into Mount Zion. We want to ensure that we take this moment to say, yes, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the, for the better word that his blood speaks to us, that we are forgiven, that we're not being held guilty because, because you bore the punishment, Lord, for us. We thank you that when you descended um, to earth at Mount Zion, it was, it was as a baby in a manger. It was as um, the boy Jesus who, who, who grew up to become, to become the man Jesus who died on the cross for us. We thank you that he lived this journey of life with us and he, and he endured punishment and he endured um, the cross for us. We thank you that he he was willing to give up his life for us, Lord. I pray that we would be able to um, receive that today. In your precious name, amen.